makes a man? What makes a man? What makes a man? What makes a man? What is a man? Who is a man? Why is a man? Is it all just drag? You know who to ask. It's the Drag King cast. Hey everybody, I'm Luce Willis and welcome to another edition of the Drag King cast. King cast. You're so good at doing those introductions. That was a beautiful little echo that you did there. Oh, that was just me hitting my special effects keyboard that I've got. I've got all kinds of things. Um, we just have so much money now, you know? Yeah, all those all those coins <laughs> rolling in from all the labor that we're doing. <laughs> Please uh, support our Patreon. Yeah, you should <laughs> join the that's a good point yeah join the patreon if you can but we don't mind if uh if you don't have the money because a lot of people don't right now and we do this for free wouldn't we buddy we would because you know everyone's been fucked over by the tourists you know everyone has the economy's got i mean we've been fucked by covid as well sure yeah yeah i mean but it i mean that still doesn't change the last what seven eight years <laughs> it's just there's the covid it was the cherry on top wasn't it of yeah, a system know built on a house of sand and cards balanced on top of the sand, waiting to be blown over by the merest pandemic. It was just a castle of cunty, cunty sand, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know enough about it, though. I feel like it's it's terrible time, but I, I, as an American man, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm no place to judge. I've got my own problems. I need to be educated more about this kind of thing. What's like England's, England's not a great track record for that kind of stuff, though, have you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to educate, you know, Please. as a... As a guy, like I, I don't want to take up too much space. Take a little space. But yeah, if you're asking me to, I mean, please. Just to generalize, like the weird thing is, the Tories have always been cunts, right? They've right. always been shit. And there's this weird thing in Britain where, like, we just don't really have like a memory. Like that's not a thing. So, like, every few years we just go, oh, I wonder if it'd be a good idea to just elect the Tories again, and we elect them again. And uh, it's always really bad. And then we just right. forget. Yeah. You know? and, uh, yeah. It's really strange. Like, I decided to put it to the test, right? Because I was like, it can't just be that everyone just forgets all the time. Like, maybe we've made it up. Maybe the truth is be great. You maybe. know? Maybe. maybe. It could have been. could have been. So We're I, young, maybe. I made a wee time machine out of a oh. television set and, like, two Twixes and oh. my mother's sense of nostalgia. Um, and it's not really an easy machine to use, you know, it's it's quite tricky. You have to mm. be like 90% from the past. And I said it to 80s, I was like, I'll right. hit the 80s because I've heard a lot about that, you know, like Thatcher being in control. I was like, yeah, that seems to be quite a Tory time. Tory right? time. So I'll hit the 80s. So I was like, I'll do that. So I had to make myself like 90% 80s to even okay. turn on the time machine. Yeah. Otherwise, it just wouldn't let me in. Like, I had to encourage each of my eyelashes to grow an extra two tiny eyelashes on the end, thus making them eye mullets, you know? And, like, I made all my internal organs into bum bags apart from my esophagus, which was just a leg warmer, you know? And that that made it work. That made it turn on. It was like, you come in, I'll take you to the 80s because it could talk. I think I, 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 I mean, with my mullet, I probably, I would have been fine. You should just ask me. I'm a fucking cunt, man. You're so right. Don't worry I about have just it. Asked you. We take a ride. We'll we'll go for the weekend. But what did you see? What happened next? It was just so interesting, right? So I was like, I'm not going to go straight in with visiting the tourists. I want no. to do something fun. Fuck. I wanted to ease myself in because although I was like right. trying to have the benefit of the doubt, like maybe the tourists don't just eat the children of the poor in the past. You know, like maybe they haven't always like stolen milk from the masses and shat upon the dreams of the poor. Like mm. maybe they didn't used to do that. But before I go there, just in case the tourists are still horrible in the past, I'll do something fun. Right. You know? A little business, a little pleasure. Yeah, like a little bit little bit of fun. So I hit up, um, do you know Dirty Dancing? Oh, of course. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Nobody ever puts baby in the corner. I was like, I want to go there, right? Right, I'm baby. Yeah, I wanted to do that. And I was like, if I 
if I visit it, that'll just be fun. So I went back to the original film set of the 1987 fairy tale romance, celebrating the overcoming of the class divide between, you know, a working class dancing instructor, Johnny, and that classic, normally named woman, Baby. But I decided that what would be really fun is if I like recreated the lift scene in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I'm Love like, I'm, I'm already working class, right? But right. I didn't have a, a baby around. So instead, I lifted the most middle class thing I could into the air, which was just like a large sack containing like paprika spiced hummus, a wee Polaroid Delicious. camera, a oh. sense of entitlement, you know, all of those yeah. things. Yeah. But before I could even lift it into the air, like more than two inches above elbow level, right? What happened? The crushing weight of social immobility and stigma hit my arms and just halted them in their tracks. Oh, no. But then when I looked down, it was actually just a thousand tiny Margaret Thatchers just straddling oh. my forearms. Like she can't have been that heavy. I hear you cry, but she was holding a thousand quarts of stolen milk and the concept of nuclear escalation, which were both very heavy, right? It's a fucking heavy man. I know. And looking at that, I was just like, that's it. I don't even have to look any further. The Tories have always been cunts. Oh, wow. John, you had quite an adventure there. I hope you're okay. This time travel thing can really mess a guy up. Why don't we just use the time machine to go somewhere uh, safe and warm so we both feel uh, protected? Oh, oh, why don't we go um, to the set of the full Monty, okay? Because then there's lots of working class dudes for you to hang out with, and there are also naked men for me to hang out with. I love your priorities. I love naked men. Hello, I'm Jodie and I'm the voice of John Travolver. Hi, I am Katie. I'm the voice of Luce Willis. We're both drag kings. Ugh, we are. Say it loud, say it proud. We hey. should, we should, we should be proud. In case people think it's character comedy, it's absolutely not. <laughs> we're serious, we're serious people. Very serious. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, actually. I ended up having quite a few coincidentally a few in the same week conversations about drag kinging oh um I know these progressive friends you have I had someone ask me something quite interesting that I therefore of course want to talk to you about and get your opinion on please I had someone ask me about um whether it feels sexy being a drag king and I wanted to ask you about this because Luce Willis you know he is a porn star Yes. He very recently wore what I would describe as a quite revealing leather thong on stage. It's a jock strap. It doesn't have the dignity of having something in the middle like a thong does. You're right. I've misspoken. I believe I bent over and said Merry Christmas to the people <laughs> sitting on the left hand side of the stage before covering um, my modesty in shame. Oh, I love performing with you. So, <laughs> so many little treats. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of wondered, because I, watching you, I'm like, you are incredibly sexy. Like, obviously, you're my platonic friend, but also your acts are very sexy. And I think a lot of people watching you are thinking, what, daddy? But I wonder, does it feel sexy? Like, when you dress as a leather cop, does it feel sexy? I do feel sexy, but it's very weird to feel sexy because although you say all the things of like, and my character is a porn star and um, I dress in these kind of scanty outfits, I do also look ridiculous in drag. Like I look like a little cartoon maniac in a bad wig and so much of the character is being silly for me and being funny and goofy and like he's kind of boyish and young there is something about like doing a really powerful um, lip sync, usually something by a kind of male singer with a lot of strut to it that you can't help but get swept up in the fantasy of I am this big hunky man, Chippendale kind of um, magic mic fantasy. I don't feel like 
um, you know, when I am my more feminine self, I feel sexy when I've like got red lipstick on or a kind of nice suit jacket or that kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. a different kind of sexiness. I feel, I feel like a sexy man when I, when I'm dancing, usually not when I'm doing comedy, but if I'm dancing, yeah. Do you feel sexy in drag? Um, it really depends on the context. Yeah. But also I think it's very interesting pondering the idea of whether you feel sexy or not, because I think often before I started doing drag, uh, when I was performing um, in any way that wasn't stand-up comedy, it felt very much as though someone else was deciding whether it was mm. sexy or not. And that kind of dictated whether I felt sexy or not. And actually now yeah. that I do drag, I've realized that because because drag kinging is all about owning and performing masculinity when you are mo most of the time not a cis man mm. and it's about celebrating masculinity outside of cis men it feels like um I get to decide when it's sexy and when I feel sexy so I've done acts that I think other people if you describe them to them they'd be like oh that's quite a sexy act and the intent is to be sexy like mm. when um when Pex did sex sex men men and uh which was like a big show that we did that was much more like theatery I guess yeah. it was slightly less cabaret I did an act about like the history of phallocentrism I know sounds very sexy off the bat told but you you're gonna sound clever <laughs> But I did that act that was all about like the history of centering the penis and penetration in sex. And while I was doing that act, I was getting a blowjob. Right. And I think, I think when you, when you describe that to people and when I read reviews of it, it was interesting because actually I didn't feel sexy at all while I was mm. doing that. Not at all. Um, I think that's the thing though, because I think with the, something like visibly seeing a blowjob on stage by a person giving a blowjob to someone who's got a strap on on so it's not a real penis in the same way I think because I I do take my clothes off a lot as you say but there is a kind of almost like a a shock element to it or an element that there is a layer removed from it that while it is sexy there is also this kind of level of fuck you or confrontational or mm. something that's like wow look at this rather than being like oh I'm turned on that someone's got their bum out like it's more like there's yeah. some kind of weird creature with a half of this on and half of that and I don't know what's going on but I think it's cool like it's not necessarily like a hard on but like a hard on for your brain maybe yeah but I, but I don't think I could have done an act like that without feeling as empowered as I do mm. during drag and not had it be contextualized as sexy purely because I'm seen as a woman and I am in some way engaging with nudity or sex on stage. Now, obviously that act was sexy because my vast intellect is sexy. <laughs> Check out the size of the brain on that one. I'm, I'm so gonna, you know what? That was supposed to sound more sarcastic and witty than it did. No, it sounds like an asshole. But <laughs> say again. To like put it in a little nutshell, I feel very sexy when I'm doing stand up because mm. I I feel sexy because I feel empowered because mm. I know because I know that no one can um, sexualize me without my consent in mm. that context because I don't have I feel so empowered that I know I don't have to engage with it I know that if someone heckles which did actually happen to me once when I was doing a scene in the same show where I, I was completely naked which was supposed to be like a very like very vulnerable very tender scene like it was mm. supposed to be about like trans identities there was complete silence in the room the concept was like men in undressing in front of the mirror yeah um and I you know I completely undressed for that and you know it was supposed to be a statement about trans validity right. and um someone wolf whistled one of the nights and I think that if it had been in a context outside of drag kinging that would have like completely broken like that would have been so difficult to deal with yeah but because it was in a context where I felt so empowered and so above that which it which is interesting in and of itself because it's like why do I feel like that just because I'm in the context of 
I'm a, I'm a man in this hour. Mm. I mean, that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. I felt so empowered by it, by being part of this thing and by feeling so comfortable in my own body that it, it didn't, um, it really didn't phase me at all. So yeah. I, it's very, uh, I find talking about the context of sexiness very interesting because I also don't think that I would feel that comfortable feeling sexy on stage as a butch or mass presenting person mm. um, in another context because I'm I'm quite uncomfortable with celebrating my own masculinity because I think most mass presenting people are socialized to not take up space. Right. And we're all terrified of being like toxic men. Yeah. So it's very rewarding to be in a space where you can feel sexy and have, you know, like women and non-binary and trans people in the audience find you sexy and find a, a space where it is safe to celebrate masculinity without it also being celebrating men. And I right. think the queer space that Pex makes is a very safe place for that because it's implicit and it's celebrating masculinity that doesn't belong to cis men. So I feel comfortable feeling sexy because I don't feel like I'm emulating toxic men in that space. That was a very long verbal diarrhea. It's been such a it long day. It wasn't diarrhea. It was really, it was beautiful. I would say it was the opposite of diarrhea is beautiful. I have to say it was very, it was very nice and How very lovely. How dare you shame diarrhea in that way? <laughs> All diarrhea is valid. <laughs> Let's not talk about diarrhea when you were having a lovely moment about trans felicity. <laughs> I just can't take myself seriously. <laughs> but is that a similar thing of the the sexiness thing I think for me I think feeling sexy only only comes because I think so much of my younger life I never believed I was attractive or sexually desirable or anything like that so you know as often people do humor is a safeguard of like well I'm not the sexy one so I can be the funny one or I can be super self-deprecating and that will be um, what charms people to me um, and I think it was only really once I stopped just relying on being funny and stand-up comedy and that kind of thing that when I could experiment more that I started to feel so much more powerful within the space and yeah I do I would never have dreamed of doing things where I did a bare bound chest or took my trousers off or that kind of thing before <laughs> now you can't you can't stop me like I can't <laughs> there's not an animal clothing that I own they haven't turned into a tearaway um and that's as it should be as it should be but I just yeah if they think of the person like five years ago and think of now like me standing on stage bound shirtless full face of corpse pain or whatever <laughs> screaming yelling I feel like a beast like I feel like I don't feel like a man or a woman I feel like some kind of biblical thing that's gonna spread wrath on everyone like it's righteous like I, I'm that sexy <laughs> biblical plagues <laughs> yeah that's such a good oh that was so satisfying to listen to oh I'm gonna You're think of you like that from now on thank you one of the four horse horse quiz of the apocalypse <laughs> maybe we should put that in the next show i like that <laughs> i like that too i like it oh man sexy like drop the robes more, more apocalypse <laughs> you're right if i could go back to like little me trying mm. to do i don't know like improv comedy at uni if you could go back to that that little bub with yeah its, with its backcombed red mullet oh. and be like hey you're gonna dance on stage you're gonna actually you're gonna have a job where you're gonna da you're gonna dance and you'll actually yeah. choose to engage with that I mean yeah. I still yeah. can't believe that we dance in our shows and like, I know I mean and obviously I mean I'm I'm quite lucky to date the choreographer right um, yeah <laughs> date sounds far too casual i'm quite lucky to unconditionally love the choreographer oh, <laughs> just uh call up one of my choreographers yeah but no. it's like you know i obviously get a lot of um help with the choreography in the downtime between rehearsals to get me to the point where i can act sounds like a euphemism for something <laughs> yeah let's rehearse um but no i'm horizontal not, tango <laughs> bill i don't Sorry. see myself as like a 
um a natural dancer like no I, but I, I think it's I think comedy people I think you're always told like oh you're funny like you don't be in the dance number because mm. you you're not you, you know you're you're you look this way you're like for me it's like you're clumsy gangly too tall or you it's like you're shorter or you're more butch, butch presenting it's like you don't need to dance there's the more kind of ones who can like dancing can dance but it's like what if you really like dancing? What if, yeah. what if I'm not that good at dancing, but I really like it? And well, I, it's I, people seen as women aren't supposed to do more than one thing, right? right? You can be hot. You can only give yourself status in one way in the patriarchy. You can't get <laughs> more than one status point. You can be pretty or you can be funny mm. or you can be clever. You definitely can't be hot and funny. That <sighs> dangerous verboten. Very dangerous. <laughs> Two status points. Absolutely not. And yeah. that, I think that's why drag kings freak people out so much because they explode onto the stage and they're like, look at me dance, look at me sing, look at me do poetry. Also, I'm political. Like, look at my little bedazzled, tearaway <laughs> <laughs> dick pouch. Dick pouch. I'm going to whip you with my dick pouch. <laughs> my mum was asking me about that because um, I sent her the little kind of um, TikTok video I made and she was like, what is it? Like, can I just ask you what it what it is? And I was like, it's a sock. But she's like, oh, but it looks so real. I was like, well, it's the underwear. It's the tip is the underwear. Mm. Once you get like a male stripper pouch, you can put anything in that and it makes the shape good. Yeah, a duckling, you could put a duckling. <laughs> Burrito. <laughs> get messy. <laughs> Hopes and dreams, just pack it full. Beautiful Stuff them in shape. there. Keep them safe. Safe and warm. <laughs> I don't know if this is relevant anymore. It's always quite funny to me because the character I do is quite weird or quite, I guess, not purposefully sexual. I do always find it a little bit funny when people are like hyper, hyper um, turned on uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I do have a bit of an update, actually, because I was saying a similar thing in our um, Christian chat after um saying that you and christian were both talking about people coming up to you after shows being like um and i was like no people just usually come up to me and be like hey i want to take care of you you're you're a sweet (laughs) sweet silly boy um but i have a bit of an update that um after uh christmas queer i got somebody's phone number didn't i jody that's true. I recall this now. Yeah. Yes, when, what happened? Our, our show, our show finished. And um, our friend Stephen Allwright, who takes a lot of the great pecs pictures for us, came up to me and was like, someone said to me to give you this phone number because they think you're very sexy. And I was like, oh, okay. And what did we find out, Jodie? <laughs> we found out that Stephen had given it to the wrong person. <laughs> It was meant for Scott Free. It was not meant for me. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad though that at least you're getting confused with another th- another sweet twink in the cast because I am not Lauren. a twink. I'm an otter. It's <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> but it's like it's so funny when people confuse us as kings because, like, you know, thrust in an eye look very yeah. similar which is awkward because we are also together and the yeah, ultimate yeah. is real but like thrust- <laughs> poor lauren has to deal with people like thinking that as well as you know performing comedy in the show i also do like all of her all yeah of her it's like wow you know, all of her like incredible how are you in so many places at the same time i know i am quantum (laughs) i am quantum Quantum jody (laughs) the quantum queer of london book them here and they'll appear there at the same time um oh you sweet bub you and scott don't look particularly similar and you have a large mullet (laughs) (laughs) i made Stephen take a picture of me i'm holding the phone number and crying and send it to the person (laughs) Oh, it just makes me want to get get back to the get back to the performing. I know, me too. It really is. I can't wait till we can do that again. Um, Actually, I do. This is my seamless segue into introducing 
this week's guest because someone who fills the space yeah someone who fills the space someone who creates community around them is don juan who's our guest this week one king of um king of our hearts quite frankly (laughs) yeah just a brilliant um such a presence like i don't don juan um mainly sings um Mm. and does some kind of crowd work it has that lovely kind of old hollywood compare kind of vibe Mm. um to them and you won't really see them sing unless everybody else is singing as well like they are so good at just bringing people together everybody's holding hands everybody's singing along like I saw them do um Starman and After Pie I, th- I was just and they oh, something inside so strong I think they'll talk about it in this um interview but I genuinely had get tears in my eyes just seeing the kind of um warmth they bring yeah to the space you just know that as soon as this is over their gigs are going to be absolutely phenomenal like, yeah the people are just going to be crying all over them it's exactly <laughs> it's what we always needed but it's especially what we need right now yeah the kind of space that don Juan creates and holds for the entire audience absolutely so please enjoy wonderful chat with the wonderful don one Hello. Hey. How are you both? Yeah, doing okay. Surprisingly okay. We've been talking a lot about like how it's really, obviously it's a very strange time, but then when we speak to each other and speak to like other kind of queer performers and everything, we always get like a nice little boost of happiness again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that is, um, I think, do you know what? I mean, I've had, it's been... <laughs> oh yeah, talk to us. <laughs> yeah, get it out. It, so it started off. Um, where I was actually really enjoying the rest mm-hmm. and then so the kind of at the start of lockdown so you know it, it, when it all hit at, in the middle of March um, I'd been really really busy so actually I was a bit like oh this is only gonna last about a month yeah <laughs> <laughs> you remember thinking that I remember yeah. thinking that and being like oh wow I'm gonna have two weeks where you can work from home crazy <laughs> yeah. and normally I just like take you know, just a bit of a rest, um, at least once a year, just to, like time out, maybe a bit of sun or something, just chilly and switching off. But I haven't done that um, since 2018. <laughs> oh my God. It's so hard with the performing arts, isn't it? Because it's like you feel like you have to be on all the time and you can't like miss any opportunities. And if you turn one thing down, then nothing else is ever going to come again. And it's, yeah, it's hard to yeah, take a break. Yeah, exactly. And I think... Um, also, obviously, with you know, when you're self-employed, you can't say uh, it's really hard to switch off. Yeah. So yeah. you're always concerned about losing that precious booking. Of course. Because so, <laughs> I've been doing online stuff. But I was going to say, like, like, yeah, have you been doing quite a bit of the online gigging? Yeah, but I have. I've also turned a lot down because I think at the start it felt like, oh, okay, this is it. This is what we'll do. Mm. And then lots of kind through with you know no payment or you know it's tips only and you do put a lot of commitment into doing an online performance I would say some places more than live and you know if not equally and I think now there's a balance so I'll do a mixture of you know these kinds of recordings and online stuff how have you changed your stuff for for doing online because obviously like singing is such a big part of your act how how have you found it um i did something for boy box and i'd i'd got something recorded and then i did um a bit of chat that i recorded so similar to what i um do when i'm on stage with a bit of chat and then some singing but actually i did do some um so i did um a pink news um live feed early on in lockdown and that was um me kind of chatting and singing and it just felt I remember the first time I did it it felt so odd because you you kind of feel like you're singing to yourself yeah Yeah. you're like looking for that connection with the audience member who's just not there or yeah and I do a lot of um a lot of like audience interaction and yeah you you really get people singing yeah yeah and just I, I buzz off the crowd as we as you know as performers we all do but I kind of it's quite feels like it's a really big part of my act to get 
people to sing back and get involved. Yeah, so that can feel a bit like, oh, <laughs> you can yeah. find yourself feeling a bit like flat and a bit, yeah, it's it's not easy um, yeah. adjusting your performance style for online, but it is doable. So it's just, but now I feel like I'm finding the right balance. That's yeah. good. For the kids at home that haven't like sit, maybe seen you, what would you describe like Don Juan as looking like and what would be like a classic Don act? Like what does your king look like and what, what's he do? So a classic Don Juan performance would be a bit of brummy chat. Um, and so I always arrive suited and booted and quite kind of slick, a bit old school. So very kind of classic Hollywood kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. It is a, you know, um, yeah, that I've just, I've got a, a few nice 3P um, suits that are like, um, you know, I, I was thinking then of furniture. To, I was imagining myself wearing a DFS sofa. 3P suite, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'd pull it off though. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah so I, like to, I like a nice suit and, and, I, and my afro is a big part of my, um, my visual look as well. Mm-hmm. So um and then my you know tash and goatee and I actually don't I don't do too much in terms of um drag kinging up mm-hmm. facially so um and I think that um comes from the fact that I have always been this kind of an androgynous mm-hmm. um, human being that mm-hmm. the reason I got into performing as a drag king it's just because I really love singing male songs mm. and um and I really love flirting with women and <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> those in between of course but yeah I am um, you know that's where I got my name from because Don Juan is a bit of a Lothario I love <laughs> it's like if you're like going to your school guidance counsellor and they're like what kind of job are you interested in and you've just got written down like singing boy songs and flirting yeah, with women yeah. <laughs> and like drag king go <laughs> follow your dreams yeah, my my aim was always to get kind of knickers thrown at me. On yeah, <laughs> we why do. I, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we, yeah. That was always like that's always my kind of goal at a show. Is like I'll say that quite jokingly at the start, and then if it ever actually happens, I'm yeah. I, I mean, it has happened. I think it's happened like once or twice. I'll take these home and put them in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> Saving on the underwear budget. Yeah. yeah. I'm a monetarily efficient king. Yeah, so it's it's me chatting um, with a few. And, and I just, because it's it's quite a natural chat. And the thing that gets everyone is my brummy accent. Yes. And the fact that I've been in London for over 10 years. Yeah. So there's this, um, I always make a joke about not just arriving on a mega bus because... Um, <laughs> people just I get it all the time people are like oh are you going back today yeah, then you just pop down for us today <laughs> I'm not a live around the corner yeah. <laughs> yeah so it um so I always make a bit of a joke about that and also it is because I'm a I'm a, a, a well in line with my Don Juan kind of sleek um smooth um slimy vibe <laughs> I don't think you're slimy no, I'm, no I'd no. say charming charming yeah, yeah. No, you're right I'll take charming yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so along with that I do I really enjoy kind of um sharing a bit of love with the audience so I yeah. do my songs I'll get people to hug and you know give each other um and I, I think I did something did I do something in lockdown where I was like oh yeah so we did kind of virtual hugs and high fives and stuff like that which mm. is yeah but yeah it's I, I like people to um to come together it's all about I think it's because being a brummie and being in the middle of the country I've never been that you know they haven't experienced a north south divide and now obviously I live in London but I'm just it's it's all about um coming together as one and um and just creating a bit more love and peace and harmony and all that kind of stuff and I think because I um genuinely mean that when I perform I think that comes across really well yeah yeah um I do quite a bit for um the posh club I was gonna ask you yeah we were gonna ask you about it it looks so wholesome so yeah Yeah. if you can could you let us know what let our audience know what that is and what you do there because it's lovely um is an it's an organization for 
now I'm trying to remember if it's over 50s or over 60s but if it's over 50s it includes over 60s anyhow um, so it's an organisation for older people to come out and party during the day and um, and it's and it's run by Ducky who have run a night in London for I think it's about over 25 years at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern so the RBT and they um I think way back got funding through the Arts Council to put on this event um, and all these older people come out during the day and I mean the majority of the audience I find are like 70s, 80s, 90 year olds and they're just coming out and um, and they just they just love to they have a bit of a uh, books fees oh. it's like an afternoon tea but then they get entertained by um, cabaret acts and Ducky tried to bring in the kind of acts that they wouldn't have seen before mm. um, so I and I just love performing to them because they're um, they just I mean I I do sing to that crowd so I will do some old school numbers for them classic songs yeah, yeah. and I just get them going and and they just it's just great they they just I mean I'm chuckling I normally do a bit of um like rap pack stuff and then I'll do some Stevie Wonder but then I might chuck in a bit of Davy Barry or Alton John or something that you know yeah. so I but they they just love it and I even did some scar last time so I did uh, an old scar track but they just they really get down they really have a good time and I just flirt with all of them yes brilliant. there's a lot of very pleased looking older ladies on your Instagram I also like um, the surprise when they they finally realise that I am a drag king. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, he's lovely, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but most of them just think I'm great, you know, in drag, yeah. whether they think I'm a drag king or, you know, um, a red-blooded male. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we just, but it's a great crowd. They're really appreciative. And and we just have so much fun. And, the, and because it's in the day as well, Often I end up having a few too many books fizzies. <laughs> <laughs> so decadent. Uh, yeah. Um, Literally very posh club. It's yeah. like, yeah, they're not laying any riffraff in there. Just <laughs> and they do wear their, like, they, they wear their kind of Sunday best and all that. So it's, yeah, it's really lovely. It's oh, so nice not. having, like, drag that can cross, like, age boundaries and, like, it's not about, like... Gen obviously it's not about gender at this point it's just about creating like community spaces for people yeah. just to kind of share love and have fun and it's yeah so gorgeous it must be so isolating for like the older queer community as well because community doesn't stop at a certain age like okay. yeah I have so much respect for you that you always center that that feel-good vibe coming from your sets and that you prioritize bringing people together it's, it's so beautiful mate yeah, it feels like, I mean, it's just, it's been, um, I've always kind of, that's always been my focus throughout life. And I do, um, it feels like, I, I mean, I always feel like I'm on this planet to make a difference anyhow. And so actually the fact that I tick so many of the boxes of diversity. <laughs> um, so, and it's just, it feels like actually it's not if you if you want equality you want equality for all so I'm constantly thinking about um you know um people with different abilities and just making everyone feel welcome in the space yeah. and um and I just think that's if if everyone feels like the space is for them and they are mm. welcome then they will have a good time and as a result, I'll just have a great show. So it just has that. It just feels like it constantly has this, you know, you give and you and you get back and you give and you and it just keeps rolling. So um and I just I just feel grateful as a performer that I have that ability yeah. to perform, bring people together, bring a little bit of joy and laughter. So mm. it sounds quite cheesy, but it's just what I'm about. I just um I just love performing and making people smile. I don't so think this is like going to have happened because you are very charming, but have you ever had a crowd that's like quite hard to warm up to get them to be like interactive with you? Or have you ever, ever had people that are quite nervous about it? And like, how do you manage that as a performer? 
I did a gig at a really famous old school yeah. um, club that's been like, I think there've been loads of performers there across the, like the years on Oxford Circus, like Oxford Street. Mm. And, um, and I did this um, gig that I'd been given a slot, at a variety show, but it was a really, really straight crowd. It was kind of really heteronormative. Yeah, and um, and this was probably was it two? It feels like it was maybe two thousand and seventeen. And bear in mind that you know, I mean, drag kings have been around for years and years and years. But actually, visibly on the on the scene, there's been a, an uprising quite recently. So I would yeah. say, you know, in the last five years, the visibility, and especially in the last few years, it's just like everyone is talking about drag kings, which is amazing. Absolutely, but. I did this gig and it was like I went out and the audience so first of all the compare was a, a, a straight white man yeah what a treat <laughs> where did they find it <laughs> doing all these really kind of I can't even remember the jokes because they were just terrible they were really straight and white and you know heteronormative mm. and then um he introduced me and I came out and the audience just looked at me it oh my god like they were like what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, now I am really, I mean, most people who've seen me perform will know that I'm really confident and I'm not even yeah. kind of nerve. I was a bit like, oh, what do I do here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just so, it just felt really cold and I was like, hmm. And then I just, I just started thinking. I think I, I think I did, because as soon as I stopped speaking, it was like, because normally I do get just from, you know, from my tone and just saying hello to everyone, I get a quite, a, you know, I get a few smiles, but everyone was just staring at me, like they were trying to figure out what I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just, and the thing that I do, know that I can do because I am confident about my uh, voice so I just sang and then they and then they started to warm it because I could see them kind of moving in their seats and so I know that the minute I start singing um I normally that normally warms people up and then I did a bit of chat in between and then I did another song and then I was like I could not wait to get off stage I was like get me on get me on <laughs> Those are the minutes like ticking down in front of your eyes like how long did I agree to do yeah, but that was my worst ever gig as as Don Juan because I just felt I was just it was quite I think the I think the worst thing is going out to an audience that just don't get you. Mm, yeah. Um, and and they're just looking a bit confused. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard as well because it's not always with like because in my head I'm always like oh if I don't yeah again I don't have gigs very often like that but when you do you're often like oh well it's a straight crowd or it's a very yeah. like heteronormative yeah heteronormative crowd but often like I've gone out to like crowds like that and totally killed it and it's just like it's just some it's almost like that thing of the context of like are people willing to accept whatever they see in front of them and just be like I'm just here for this person or or the the kind of person that's just like somebody explain this to me because I, yeah. I don't know what I'm seeing like I started I did an experiment once where I um I did like a really a really basic stand-up competition and I decided to do it as as John Travolver because I, I was like men always win this competition so maybe <laughs> <laughs> if I just dress like a man I'll stand a better chance yeah and uh I did one heat with like full drag on and mm. people were terrified it was like one of, it was one of those audiences where they're just so distracted by the fact that you're not a cis man yeah. and you look like you have a beard like they just can't they can't listen to the stand-up behind it and so the next one I I did it like it was quote-unquote character comedy so I, I didn't wear any makeup and oh. I did the same set with like the same you know John has a Scottish accent like he's very clearly a character and they loved it and it was like a very similar audience. And I, I'm just so fascinated by people's fixation and, and terror of anyone that's not a cis man, like being able yeah. to look a bit like one. It's yeah. so interesting. Could yeah. you imagine being that boring that you care, <laughs> you care about it? 
I can't listen to what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're singing until somebody explains to me why you have a mustache and your face doesn't look like it should have one. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it is, I think, I mean, I just, that's the thing. I find it quite um, scary to actually live a life like that because yeah. it feels quite sheltered. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, I love being on stage. So it yeah. is where that I feel like I really want to get off the stage. But I remember thinking, I remember doing a, a gig, a follow-up gig, I think it was a day or so later at um, whatever world. Um, mm. And it was, I don't know if it was a non-binary cabaret or something like that, but that just restored my faith in like uh, so I remember just going and performing and everyone getting the shit the, the performance and just feeling like I was at home again and yeah. that's like oh thank did you kind of question yourself it's you so it? true yeah, yeah. so it, true it does make you think oh am I really like am maybe I, I was bad the entire time and this <laughs> one audience was the right audience yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but aside from that, I do have, um, I'm actually really, really surprised if a crowd doesn't react well to my act. Yeah. Like, sorry, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Can you see how good I am, please? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you awake? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very hard not to like, though, isn't it? Just like a very energetic, wonderful, bright full of life performer singing songs that you know and love and it's just like it's so hard like I, I would question whether you had a soul if you just couldn't like crack yeah, a smile yeah. at yeah. something like that it's so much harder to not react yeah do you know what I mean it's like, like how do you, yeah yeah we actually Don we've got a thing that we're um everyone that comes on the on the podcast we've just created a little bit of space for if there's anything we're calling it the drag it corner so because we're all locked inside in our own homes, if there's yeah. anything that's annoyed you or that you need to have a, like a bit of a rant about, we've created this space. So if, if there's anything else that you're like, you know what, I just need to have a bit of a moan. This is, this is the space for it. Is there anything you want to let out? Is there anything I want to have a moan about? Well, I do want to have a moan about the 10 p.m. curfew. Oh, Go yeah. for it, please, <laughs> topical. <laughs> Oh, yeah. coronavirus putting on its jacket and going home oh, at 9 59 like yeah. yeah frustrating to have measures that don't actually address the issue but have a yeah, big exactly. impact yeah that's yeah. what's frustrated me the, the, the fact that the government have given so many mixed messages mm. and um and just it feels like actually the general public have lost a lot of faith in I mean, if anyone ever had faith in Boris Johnson, because I didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is quite, it's quite satisfying in a way, knowing people that are like, God, he's just really fucking up. And it's like, yeah, obviously. He's never <laughs> qualified for it. I'm not surprised. Like, why are you surprised? I don't yeah, understand. Yeah, it's like somebody just, he just stepped into a job that was yeah. never have been his. And it's yeah. bizarre. And now he's, you know making a, a mockery of the country <laughs> there's something kind of funny as well of thinking like this, of like what it was like for him of being like oh finally i'm prime minister i'm king of the country ha ha ha, ha. and then it's just like oh what do you mean i've got to do with all of this oh no no i know i'm not i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing like it's something kind of fun thinking about how his master plan of being a big manager yeah. has been ruined as well i mean obviously not at the expense of human life but um oh, no of course but I, I totally yeah i i agree and i think i mean i'd let's be honest we, none of us would want that job no. but then we it would be nice if somebody qualified could do it <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it would be nice if it was someone qualified in any of the positions handling this right now, wouldn't it? No, Donna, it's been it's been so lush chatting with you. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. Where can um where can people support you? Like, do you have a Patreon? Do you want to shout out anything that you're doing that's coming up? Yeah, so I would say um, just follow me uh because because you'll see everything that i'm doing via social media so it is all don and it's number one so d-o-n and then one birmingham uh oh no so and so everywhere so just at don one birmingham which will find which you'll find me on um 
Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that malarkey. And there's also uh, the Boy Box seventh birthday coming out online, which um, I'll link to on social media as well. And that's going to be a big bumper kind of online edition Ooh. because of um, Boy Box being seven. So oh, um, happy birthday, yeah. Boy Box! Yeah, so I'll be um, performing on that. And chatting about how oh, I'm, um, you know, back on form again in my whistle and flute and all that. <laughs> you now I'm in London. Oh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's been lovely chatting to you all. So um, lovely talking to you. That was the incredible Don Juan. And now your favourite pex boy, Victor Victorious, is back with more queer fashion histories. I'm Victor Victorious, and this is Queer Fashion Histories. Most of us have seen or heard of the 1998 film Shakespeare in Love. It stars Gwyneth Paltrow as a star-crossed lover, masquerading as a beautiful young man in order to tread the boards of the famous London stage. For those of us who have seen the film, the image of Gwyneth trussed up in bandages to bind her breast is a strong one. She dons the fashionable male dress of the day, appearing in a teal and purple velvet doublet, nipped in at the waist with jutting hips, voluminous breeches and skin-tight hose, all set off with a poofed cap of the same colour, concealing flowing, flaming hair. Sadly, though, this is sort of where popular modern references to female cross-dressers of the Elizabethan age ends. Of course there are some, but, by and large, modern film writes the typical tale. A nubile man dressed up as a woman to portray the famous roles of Sylvia or Juliet, stand-ins for the female-bodied of the time who were denied the right to raise their voices on the stage. It's a story that we take for granted now. Men played women on the stage, and so we know for sure that, at least in this context, male cross-dressing existed in the early modern period. And just to clarify, here I use the sometimes difficult term of cross-dressing specifically to refer to the swapping of clothes defined by a strict binary, by people recognised as being of the opposite gender. That's not to say that there aren't fascinating insights to be made about male subversive fashion in the period. But this week, I'd prefer to take the path less trodden and look at the women who chose to jettison their skirts and clothe themselves in forbidden garments. Perhaps understandably, due to the transgressive nature of female cross-dressing, traditional sources such as paintings, miniatures and illuminated books are of little use to the erstwhile fashion historian here. Instead, it is the plays, legal texts, and moralising pamphlets that shine a light on subversive women, and so much of the visual is left to our imaginations. So humour me, if you can, and hold in your mind that powerful image of Gwyneth in her teal velvet doublet while I tell you a few stories. One particular academic, Linda Woodbridge, argues that cross-dressing women were far more common than we may have previously thought. According to Woodbridge, Women took on male dress for a whole range of reasons, such as, and I quote, to plead at law, regain a fortune, or practice a profession barred to women, win back lovers, fight a duel, travel alone, have adventures. I feel like this throws a slightly romantic tint on what could actually be a perilous practice that by no means went unnoticed or unpunished. There were actually moralising pamphlets written to decry the practice. Overtly, male writers opposed to the practice as it went against the tenets of Deuteronomy, which states that a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Beyond the Bible, scholars have argued that these moralists held an innate fear that cross-dressing had an anarchic potential that clothing itself had the capacity to literally alter gender. So strong was the early modern belief in external appearance as a signifier of identity. There was a fear, too, that cross-dressers could genuinely pass as the opposite gender and therefore enter a social sphere or co-opt powers usually forbidden to them, leading to dangerous behaviour. Court records from 1592 reveal a woman from Cornwall who was accused of donning men's clothing in order to commit adultery. The text specifically refers to her wearing men's garters, 
And the best bit is where the woman reportedly states that she would continue to wear her men's clothing until they came for her. Other sources from the 17th and 18th centuries show that there were Dutch women serving in the military disguised as men, and that they had female lovers and wives. These examples show exactly why society didn't want women dressing as men. Because they show that the fears we talked about earlier, that women might gain access to places and powers that they weren't allowed, was really true. I'd like to tell you about one particularly notable woman. This woman refused to be confined by traditional female dress and expectations of appearance. And she provides us with an example of a very probably queer woman rejecting society and carving out her own path. Enter Christina, Queen of Sweden, who lived between 1626 and 1689. This absolute legend defied the expectations of her gender from birth. It's said that when she was born, the baby was first thought to be a boy, as it was hairy and screamed with a strong, hoarse voice. She was officially queen from age six, but began her reign at 18. And oddly for the time, her father insisted she be educated as a boy would be. And so she learned religion, philosophy, maths and alchemy, and by all accounts completely devoted herself to the pursuit of knowledge. These masculine characteristics continued into her dress and appearance. One court figure wrote of Christina as a teenager that she is not at all like a female. She took no care with her appearance, Christina forgot to comb her hair, donned her clothes in a hurry, and opted for men's shoes for convenience. By the time she was a young woman, her unruly hair was a well-known trademark. This rejection of women's clothing and standards of personal care would have been enough to set her aside at this time. But this gender ambiguity spilled over into every aspect of her life, which set her even further apart. She shared a bed, and possibly a sexual relationship with her closest friend, Ebba Spar, introducing Ebba to the English ambassador as her bedfellow. When she left Sweden, Christina wrote to Ebba to tell her that she would always love her. Very romantic. She dedicated her time to study and wrote dismissively of women in her memoirs, saying that she felt an insurmountable distaste for all the things that females talked about and did. In fact, women in general don't come up much in her memoirs, and when they do, it is generally for her to compare herself more favourably to them by referring to herself as more masculine. In an effort to rectify Christina's unladylike behaviour, a male courtier employed a ballet troupe to perform at court and to teach Christina to move more elegantly. Hilariously, the result was that Christina defied the Pope's order that women be barred from the stage and allowed women to perform in her palace, even appearing on stage herself as a goddess. But most shockingly, Christina refused to marry. She felt so strongly about the subject that she abdicated the throne. And this shocking subversive behaviour continued into her clothing. The most overt example of her taking on male dress came in 1654, when Christina fled Sweden in men's clothing, riding as Count Donna through Denmark. It was a long journey, so this would have been a prolonged period of deception indeed. And Christina certainly didn't change her tune as she aged. A portrait of the elderly Christina shows an inherently ambiguous figure. Standing proud and looking directly out at the viewer, her clothing shows little hint of female identity. Although rich and sumptuous, the bodice is loose, concealing the breast and giving the impression of broad shoulders. The skirts, unlike other women of the period, stop scandalously high, just below the knee, as if they were the breeches and hose of a man. Her signature sensible men's shoes are in situ, her face is lined and serious, and her hair is tied simply. We know, then, that Christina didn't wear identifiably male clothing 100% of the time. But we also know that she definitely did sometimes. Not only that, but she refused to adhere to visual standards of femininity in her dress and personal appearance. 
Even more importantly, she refused to act or behave as a woman was expected to, and even shunned traditional heterosexual relationships, possibly in favour of a passionate queer one. Whether or not the early modern period in Europe was a golden age of cross-dressing, as some people have suggested, is inconclusive. But that queer dressing was taking place seems to be true, and certainly had implications for gender and sexual identity outside of the wardrobe. I'm Victor Victorious, and this has been Queer Fashion Histories. So now we've stuffed your brain full of queer culture, I think it's only right that Izzy a man give us another sexy story time. Well, hello there. I'm Izzy a man, and this is your favourite sexy story time. Thanks, Izzy, and hello, drag fans. I'm Isabel, and this episode I have an abridged short story for you by South London's own Bridget Minimal, a British Ghanaian poet, essayist and journalist who also happens to be my beloved housemate. Her pamphlet, Titanic, is available now. She wrote this story on the theme of tension, so delayed gratification fans, you're in for a treat. If you're hungry for more at the end, you can find the full text at Close Tiny Letter. Tell Me What Your Name Is by Bridget Minimal. Z and I both knew we weren't supposed to ask one another any intimate questions, but when presented with the opportunity, it seems she just couldn't help it. It was the dark that did it. In darkness, some parts of ourselves are hidden even further. Blushing cheeks, wringing hands. But others, others seem to use the dark to make themselves more known. When the light was lacking, it was these parts of our bodies, breathing, mine, hers, and blood, thumping in her chest and somewhere deep behind my ears that felt so painfully, terrifyingly close. Looking back, we both must have known the darkness wouldn't last very long. Things like this, life-changing things that stick to your skin until you die, they happen in threes, and that was the third outage of the week. It was the third time mine and Z's bodies had disappeared from view, the third time our breathing and our blood had found bedfellows in the space between us. The charged, tense distance between my body and hers, a space only understood by people who have a person they call theirs. I could feel that we had both turned to look at one another. I could feel her eyes on mine, in mine almost, burrowing deep and liberated by the absence of light. A gulp, and then a deep breath in. Tell me what your name is, Z whispered on her breath out. Names were not things people said out loud, not nowadays, anyway. The first day I met Z, we wordlessly walked to the queue of couples waiting for the elevators and introduced ourselves the only way we knew how. I'm Y. Well, then I must be Z, mustn't I? And then two smiles, mirroring each other. Every pair of workers in our building, and presumably in every building in the borough, was a Y or a Z. If we did better than everyone else on our floor, then there was a chance our next role would be on the floor above, and if we continued to do well, we might eventually be able to move outside the city walls and breathe deeply without coughing out black strands in our saliva. At home, of course, people were neither Zs nor Xs, but went by the names we had chosen for ourselves at fifteen. Names are so very personal. To know someone's name is to know what sound makes their heart and head take notice. Z asking for my name, not asking, demanding it to be told her in the dark, was perhaps the most thrillingly wrong, intimate moment of my life. There was something about her, something I couldn't place or explain or name, but something that grew stronger and stronger each day. That something meant that when the power cuts began, I was closer than ever to reaching across the desk, tearing the ring on her left thumb away from her finger, and reading what was written on the side that kissed her skin. I was fixated on that piece of metal, dizzy at the thought of her taking it off one day to show me what her name was. Names had always been hidden from me. Alongside the premature, painful death of my mother was the realization there would be no one to whisper my new name to when the time came. So, when the day of my naming ceremony arrived, I simply stayed at home. As the years went by, I began to settle into my namelessness, 
all the while increasingly desperate to learn the true names of those around me. The day of the third power cut, I had been staring at Z's ring, almost unabashed, when the lights went out once again. The darkness hit, we turned to look at one another, and I reached to where I knew her left hand still lay. Touching her felt shocking, but touching the ring was overwhelming, and as I began to pry it from her finger, that's when she spoke. Tell me your name, Z murmured, breath whooshing out in the darkness, her thumb still resting in my hand. A gulp, and then a deep breath in. I... I can't. In the dark, Z continued looking at me, saying nothing before curling her left hand into a tight fist, thumb hard and firm in the middle of it. I felt sick, burnt by the sudden movement and slow to realize what was happening between us. I know now what she must have thought, the rejection she must have believed I was throwing into the air. The words in my mouth felt clumsy. You don't, you don't understand. I don't have one, I told her, rushed, darkness crowding my thoughts. A reply, then, a short one. It's fine. The fluorescence on the ceiling flickered to life, and I sat there, still at the desk my right hand was still resting on, trying to understand what had happened. After a moment, I looked at Z, saw Z not looking at me, face forward, back straight, and her ring nowhere to be seen. You have been listening to the Drag King cast from Pex Drag Kings. If you enjoyed it, then please donate to Pex's Patreon, where we will shower you with extra content like the royalty you are. And if you can't afford that, then please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes, because it really does help us out. You can also follow us on Instagram at Pex Drag Kings, on Twitter at Pex Drag, and on Facebook at Pex.TheDragKings. The Drag King cast is presented by Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. John Travolva, and Katie Bulmer, a.k.a. Luce Willis. And you also heard from Vic Aubrey, a.k.a. Victor Victorious, and Isabel Adamarco-Young, a.k.a. Izzy Aman. DKC is produced by Katie Bulmer, Jodie Mitchell, and Pex's executive producers Ellen Spence and Daisy Hale, artistic directed by Celine Lowenthal, and has music from Anya Pearson of Dreamnails, artwork by Emma Hayden, and photography by Ra Petherbridge. DKC is recorded live from our own homes because there is still a global pandemic and you must all stay inside. Bye.